0: As we begin this morning, I want to say uh, just what my job description is. It was interesting that uh, without thinking of the hymn that we were singing, this is the text I wanted to read at the outset from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This was at the head, by the way, of that hymn we just sang. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead... And by his appearance, his appearing, and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And so, as we come uh, this morning to the time of studying God's word, just remember that I am here not to present to you uh, worldly wisdom not to proclaim to you what psychologists or psychiatrists or experts of child development may have come to, what is popular in present psychiatry or psychology, but I am here to proclaim to you what the Word of God says. What does God say? about how we raise our children what does God say about our family life what does God say about husbands treat their wives and wives respond to their children so that's my job description and so that's what we're here for today and there's a a little additional note of my job description this morning that I'm supposed to do it in 40 minutes so, well, we'll see how we do. I'm going to aim for that, which would get me to oh, roughly five minutes after 12. So we'll aim for that so that you don't suffer longer than is necessary with a mask on. But you know what? Let's not whine about that. OK, we ha- we're here. We're here to worship God. We're ha- we have the privilege, the freedom, the delight of meeting with each other, and especially of meeting with our God. And so let's ask for his help as we do that this morning. Let's come to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for indeed it is a privilege, it is a delight, it is a blessing that we are gathered together in this place to sing the praise of our God, that you have redeemed us, you have washed us from our sin, you have given us new hearts and new lives, you have given us your word of light to our feet, a direction for our paths, especially with regard to our families as we see all around us, not merely dysfunctional families, but families that are broken and shattered and in misery and in woe. And we ask that you would make us, a city set on a hill, a light that can be seen, a light shining in the wilderness of this dark world that our neighbors would see, our friends, our relatives would see the blessedness of having the Lord for our God and having your word for our guide, having Jesus as our Savior. And so help us to live this before the world. Help me to preach your word with clarity, with power, as it is written, and not to fear the face of men. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we've been considering, as we've gone through the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 21, we ran into... This verse, which says, fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. And filling in from the parallel passage in Ephesians, we read chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And uh, packed into these couple of verses is so much instruction for families that we've taken uh, some weeks, I guess probably a couple months by now, of a uh, family seminar, and it was with the, started with a COVID quarantine, but now we're uh, semi-quarantined, at least uh, I look on your faces and see half of your faces, Uh, but I see your faces, and that's a delight. Well, what have we seen so far in our unpacking of these two verses? Well, first of all, there's the structure of authority in the family. We saw that the father is the head of the home. We saw part two that the negative duty of fathers do not provoke your children, do not exasperate them that they not lose heart. Then we've been considering the positive responsibility of fathers. As it says in Ephesians 6, verse 4, bring them up. Nurture them, cause them to grow in every way, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Do your best to see them grow to maturity. How in the discipline, that's training, and instruction, that's admonition of the Lord. And so we come uh, to having seen how to teach them in the last few couple of three weeks. Now we want to consider admonishing and disciplining, that is, including punishing. Now, again, I'm aware I'm sticking my neck out a bit in this current climate, but what's my job? Preach the word. And I know you want me to do that. And so we continue in our study of God's word with regard to the family. We saw teaching the children in the word of God in family devotions, teaching them along the way in daily life. Now we come to admonition and correction, uh, that is punishment. So admonition, first of all correcting your children verbally. Now, it's worthwhile for us to take a few minutes and study this word admonition, or that's the noun form, or to admonish, the verb form, and to see something of its flavor. What does the apostle mean when he instructs parents here, bring your children up in the admonition of of the Lord, what's admonition? It's not a word we use every day. Uh, and as I look out and I see some who are f- are visiting or who are with us from other countries, maybe you don't know have a clue what's admonition. Well, we want to see the biblical flavor of this word. And just to give you a, a clue before we plunge into that, one of my Greek lexicons puts it this way: Admonition is Teaching, warning, giving ethical and corrective instruction in regard to belief or behavior. Now, from all of those words, obviously, admonition has to do with verbal communication. Admonition has to do with speaking to your children. All right? with regard to belief or behavior, especially correction. Now, let's look at the word. We find the, and I'm going to mix up the noun and the verb forms. They're very closely related. Let's look up, first of all, the first time we meet the word in the New Testament is Acts 20, 31. And we're just going to go through uh, somewhat, you know, starting with the beginning of the New Testament and proceeding toward the end of it. We've come to Acts 20 and verse 31, and this is, of course, where Paul meets the Ephesian elders. As he knows, he is heading for Jerusalem where bonds await him. The last time that he will probably look on their faces, and he says this to them. Acts 20, 31. Therefore, Be on the alert. He's instructing these pastors of the church in Ephesus. Be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. He sought to instruct them with regard to their belief with regard to their behavior and this was not some callous mechanical uh, theoretical doctrinal exposition with no heart he did it with tears so admonishing verbal instruction and correction but it's not heartless it's not theoretical it's passionate romans Fifteen and verse fourteen. Writing to the whole church, not just to elders now, Paul says to the whole church, Romans fifteen, fourteen, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. When a member of the church is going astray, it's not just the pastor's job to correct him. It's the job of every member. We are all our brother's keepers. Admonish one another. You're able to do this. You have God's word. You have God's spirit. Don't say, well, I never went to seminary. (laughs) You see a brother going astray, you speak to him lovingly, passionately. Able also to admonish one another. 1 Corinthians 4.14. Again, how is this done? We get a little flavor of this word in this passage. As Paul speaks to this this church, which, uh, shall we say, needed some admonition. He says to them, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved Children. So, this verbal correction of this church that's really got a lot of problems, a whole kettle full of problems, Paul comes to them and he writes them, and he doesn't do it to shame them. He doesn't do it to rub their nose in it, as it were, and just to make them feel bad. He admonishes, he verbally corrects them as beloved children. And when we admonish our children, remember, who are they? They're my beloved children. A lot of interesting information packed into this little survey of the word. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, where Paul reviews a little bit of Israel's history And he says, these things did not happen to them haphazardly, just out of the blue, as if by chance. But God purposed these uh, events, even the chastising that they went through. He says in verse 11, now these things including serpent bites, including the uh, 23,000 falling because of their immorality, etc. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our... Now, my version says instruction, but it's the word admonition. For our admonition, upon whom... The ends of the ages have come. Those things in Old Testament history, Sunday school teachers, parents, when you teach your children Old Testament history, don't lose the opportunity of admonition. It's a warning with regard to behavior. Don't act immorally. Don't act rebelliously. Don't act in uh, opposition to authority as they did with Moses. (laughs) It has bad consequences. Admonition. They're a warning. It's to instruct them with regard to belief and behavior. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Now, you may not remember, but it's been a little while since we were in Colossians chapter 1. But I could have read this verse with regard to my job description. As this is with regard to the Christian ministry, Paul writes in verse 28, And we proclaim him, that is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. We preach Christ. And that comes with admonition. Admonition for every man to turn from their wicked ways, to turn from the way of the world, to repent of sin, and commit yourself to Christ. Admonition. Instruction, correction, direction. You get a feeling for what the word means. All right? So that they might escape the wrath to come and be safe. Colossians chapter 3. Now... We're getting closer to verse twenty-one, and maybe you remember running into this word in Colossians three, verse sixteen. I'm not sure if I underscored it with a view to coming to it in verse or in, in Ephesians six four. But Ephesians, Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and hers again the one anothering admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to god when we sing our hymns you know some of them are direct praise to god some of them are admonition to one another that's biblical in your hymns admonish one another and we admonish ourselves sometimes with some of the psalms, Oh, come my soul, bless thou the Lord thy maker. We're admon- admonishing each other and ourselves to praise God. So admonition even in our singing. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 12. As so we progress through the New Testament, chapter 5 and verse 12. But we re- request of you, brethren... That you appreciate or literally know those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you admonition. So when you get admonished, which may mean correction verbally from the pulpit, what do you do? Hmm. Act like the gorillas. Who does he think he is? Or do you say, thank you, Pastor? That's what it tells us to do. Thank the pastor, appreciate, know them who have the rule over you and give you admonition. Verse 14, what do we do, especially with those who are unruly in the congregation? And this is again to everybody, not just to pastors. But we urge you, and we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. How do you admonish them? Stop that! Don't go that way. Now you do it in love. Remember we've seen all this. Admonish you as one with his beloved children. Admonish verbal correction. Don't go that way. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men even as you admonish them. 2 Thessalonians 3:15 with regard to church discipline, with regard to that brother who is acting unruly. What do you do with him when he refuses initially to listen? All right, we read in verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. And yet... Do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So again, we get the feeling this verbal correction is not cruel. It's not harsh. It's not yelling at. It's not scolding in a, in a shameful way. Well, yeah, we want them to be ashamed. That was the previous verse, but ashamed of sin. So they turn from it and it's done in love. Admonish him as a brother. And so you get, again, a a flavor of this word. One more text. All right. Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. It can be quite stern, even as it is loving. (laughs) Titus 3.10. Reject a factious man after a first and second admonition. There's the word. Warning in my version, but admonition is the word. So you admonish him. You're acting unruly, you're being factious, you're being divisive. Don't do that. Turn from that. It keeps on going. You warn him again. Brother, that behavior is causing trouble in the church. You need to stop that. Turn from that behavior. And he keeps on going. And then you've warned him twice keeps going. You have to reject him. That is church discipline. That's remove him from the membership. But you see, the admonition, the warning can be quite stern, but it's always loving. Now, let's pack all these things together then. That's, that's the, those are the uses of the word in the New Testament, either the verb or the noun. And so when we come back now to Ephesians 6, 4, that you are to bring up, see to maturity in all ways your children with discipline and with admonition. It's not something that's mere scolding. It's not mere lecturing. I told you a thousand times, blah, 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 blah. And the kid is there, okay, I'm, I'm, Jim, please finish. You know, uh, It's not just lecture, it's done in love. It's done with a view to seeing them turn from the wrong way and turn to the right way. This admonition is for their good, from a heart that cares for them so deeply. Admonition of the Lord gives us something of the content Of that warning, of that instruction For their moral behavior and for their correction It comes from God's word Admonition Sometimes it's warning before the sin is committed You see them like getting a little close to the edge And you give a warning Sometimes it's after they've gone astray And you're bringing them back, correction All of these are packed into this word Admonition The unruly need admonishing. The factious need warning. The Corinthians need admonishing yet as beloved children. And so when we train our children, we need to verbally confront and correct them, right? Now, I want to apply this before we go on to... More matters. Again, I'm watching my clock, so we hopefully won't go too far. But brethren, you need to communicate. Whatever this word to admonish means, it involves and it is based upon verbal communication. The children need to hear from you. The silent father, the silent mother, a home wherein it's like as silent as a tomb, that's not a biblical godly home. There should be open communication with them. They need to know where they stand. They need to know what God expects, what you expect. And therefore, let me say, first of all, in application, you need to make house rules for your kids. House rules. Now, not too many, Not too strict, but they need to know where their limits are. And these, of course, include things like uh, do your homework before dinner. They include things like clean up your room before you go to bed. It includes things like make your bed in the morning when you get up. Don't wait till noon. Do you, you know, it's, it's surprising to me. You need to teach them that when they're young so that when they go off to college, they already know this. It's like second nature. Brush your teeth after each meal. No devices at the table. We're going to communicate with each other, not by texting each other across the table. Limit to screen time. Be home by five. Don't go to anybody's house after school unless you ask permission first. Now, of course, the rules change as the children get older. You have one set of rules for a three-year-old, four-year-old You have different set of rules for a 10 year old. You have different set of rules for a 15, 16 year old. The rules change, but they have house rules and they're communicated and they know when they have gone over the border, over the boundary, they have transgressed by doing what is wrong. You need to communicate the rules clearly to your family. Right, so communication, you can't admonish, you can't correct them if they don't have a clue what they did. Another thing about these, this communication, you need to be consistent with the rules. No double standard. Of course, you know what's common with the little brother says, well, how come big brother did that? Different standard, different age, you have to communicate that He is older, he is hopefully more mature And he can handle that, but you're not ready for that You communicate, but there's no double standard If it's wrong for one, at that age level It's wrong for all, and you don't play favorites again Sister did it, it was wrong, you do it, it's wrong No difference in place There's no one set of rules that it's wrong at home But you don't put your feet on the furniture at home But you can do it outside the house Or vice versa We have similar consistent rules No matter where No changing every day depending on your mood You know I don't feel like correcting them I just let them go the day That discourages kids because then they get confused it makes them insecure. Consistency, communication of what's right and what's wrong. And then, when they transgress, you need to explain to them what you did wrong. When they sin and they disobey and, and, you know, suddenly you're going to correct them and they haven't got a clue, you have to explain, what did you do? And we usually would start out with our kids and ask them, what did you do? and. They knew, generally speaking. And if they don't know, well, maybe you didn't communicate the rules clearly. All right, now sometimes this admonition, this verbal correction, when they do transgress, when they do go across the boundaries, sometimes a verbal correction is all it takes. The the child is broken, they're repentant, they are there in tears already. I didn't mean it, Dad. Forgive—not just alligator or crocodile tears, as uh, the fake kind, but genuinely repentant. Maybe that's all they need: is verbal correction or admonition. And so, uh, talk to them. Communicate with them. Listen to them. And I want to say this here, I I had to say this again and again in the Philippines because I detected, especially among our Filipino brethren, there was a tendency with the uh, authority of the Father just to stand and pontificate and lecture. I told you this and I'm going to tell you again, but Dad, I don't, listen to me. And that. The child doesn't have any opportunity to communicate their point of view. Why? Perhaps there were mitigating circumstances. Listen to them. It's a two-way street. When you admonish, you also have your ears open. Admonish your children. Verbal correction as to beloved children. It's all done in love. Because you want to see them turn from the way of death and turn to the way of life. Now, I come to the next point, And this is just going to introduce the next point of correction, which is uh, involves punishment. All right. So when we talk about discipline, that word we read in uh, Hebrews involves correction by punishment. Punishment. That's how God deals with his children. Uh, He chastises us. He corrects us with punishment, with a rod, as it were. And now, as we come to this topic, I want to first of all begin with a, a caveat. I don't know what to call it. Because I'm aware that the world we live in today. As I was preparing this sermon, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, is not the world I grew up in. It's a different climate. It's a different atmosphere. If I were to preach on, correction, let me use the word, the rod, spanking. If this were to go out on social media the post would be instantly filled with all kinds of negative, even malicious, comments. Again, my job is not to preach child psychology. It's not to preach pop, popular, uh, up-to-date child development theory. Let's just stop and take a step back. And think about it. What has the permissiveness, the laissez-faire, let it go, uh, don't, don't correct them, they're just uh, learning for themselves their own way, what has that produced in our society? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> to use popular expression, it doesn't take a PhD to figure it out that we're in a mess. We're in chaos. And so this advance of our society is an advance in the wrong direction. But let me underscore before I go one step further. When I speak of using the rod, when I speak of spanking, I am not talking about child abuse. We reject, we abominate, abusing physically or emotionally a child. And parents of Trinity Baptist Church or those who are listening online, do not abuse your children. Do not spank when you are consumed with anger. That will lead to abuse. That will open you up to going too far. Get control of yourself before you lift a hand or a rod to use on your child. The fruit of the Spirit is first of all, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you Engage in child discipline. You plead for the help of the Holy Spirit that you not go over the border into any kind of abuse. Don't abuse them physically. Don't come to injure their bodies. Of course, yes, it has to smart. If it doesn't smart, it doesn't hurt. They're not learning anything. But we're not there to scar them either physically or emotionally. And let me say, just again, by way of balance, there have been cases of physical and emotional abuse, yes, in Christian homes. And we are not, and I am not, let me just put it this way, as I preach this message, I am not giving you warrant to physically and emotionally scar your children. And don't go to the doctor when he asks you about the bruises on Junior's backside. Well, Pastor Hoffmeyer told me to do it. they will lock me up and throw away the key. And then you won't hear me preach anymore, so maybe you do it. Well, no, no, no. Um, We're not going to go there. And I hope, a few words to the wise, I hope is sufficient. But I know this world, and I know the human heart well enough to know that it's easy to take something that is clear and biblical and push it to an extreme and to go over the border. Don't do it. We're not talking about injuring, scarring a child physically or emotionally. Now, the world doesn't get this. And so if I even say these things, even with these warnings, even with these corrections, even with these limitations, the world says, spanking, oh, well, he's, he's a harsh, cruel man. Oh, you spanked your children, that's horrible. You're scarring them, you're 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 damaging them. Again, what's my job? Preach the word. Now let's just in the few minutes that remain plunge into a brief survey of the book of Proverbs. And I and according to my watch, I can do this. So maybe I hope I can. We'll see. Let's just plunge into the book of Proverbs and scan through and see what God's Word says. Not what uh, Mr. Spock of a previous generation or whoever the latest guru is of child development. But what does God's Word say? The wise man of the Proverbs. Proverbs 12.1, so get your fingers uh, moistened or whatever you have to do, so lift your mask and moisten your fingertips to flip the pages quickly. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, or that would be admonition, verbal correction, he who hates reproof is stupid. Literally, the word is brutish. It's like an animal. And for our Filipino brethren, that's quite insulting to be called an animal. Uh, But if you don't like reproof, kids, listen. You say, huh, my dad told me. Who does he think he is? He who hates reproof is like a dumb dog. Or worse, pig. Or you put your own animal in there. Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son or daughter accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Who does he think he is telling me? Look at yourself in the mirror. Don't tell me. That's not wise. A scoffer does not listen. A wise son accepts his father's 13.24 He who spares his rod, Oh, I love my son too much. I love my daughter too much. He who spares his rod, rod, spanking, hates his son. But he who loves him, disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 19.18. 19.18. Discipline your son or daughter while there is hope. And do not desire his death. There's hope. He's still alive. He's still in your home. He's still of an age where you can teach and instruct and reprove and admonish. Discipline him while there's hope. Don't desire his death. uh, 1920. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Kids, accept it. Don't kick against the goads. 1927. Cease listening, my son, to discipline, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. It's guaranteed. You don't listen to discipline. You don't listen to correction. You know better than everybody else. You're on a path of folly. 2215. 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Parents, I think you know this. Kids, you know it too. You do dumb things. Where'd that come from? You ask yourself, why did I do that, dad? Here's the answer. You were born a son of Adam. And it's in your heart because of sin. We're born in sin we were conceived in sin we live in unless Christ saves us and even when he does there's remaining sin it's bound up in the heart of a child and the rod drives it out at least to a degree proverbs 23:13 and 14 do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. Don't hold it back. Lovingly, yes. Don't forget the love. Pour it on like syrup. Thick. But do it. Proverbs 29.15, the last one. 29.15 the rod and reproof give wisdom notice they're together rod and reproof correction verbally and correction by the rod give wisdom but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother i guess i skip verse 17 correct your son and he will give you comfort he will also delight your soul 2917. Well, what do we learn from all these? Let's pack it all up together. Let's try to, uh, you know, you squeeze it like you're making cheese. You get all that good stuff. Well, the good stuff's left with cheese. What's a good illustration? You want to get the good stuff out of it. okay? well, here's the good stuff. First of all, what about spanking? The first thing we learn is it's biblical. The rod. Then what are we talking about? We're talking about applying an instrument to the posterior portion of a child's anatomy to create a pain that will not injure them. Not going to scar them, not going to damage their bodies in terms of leaving lasting damage. We're causing pain, momentary, yes, pain. For what purpose? That they learn. And here's the lesson sin makes you miserable. Get the lesson across to them early, before they get big and get in big trouble. Sin makes you, kids get this, sin makes you miserable. And when your parents apply an instrument, a rod, a spanking, whatever you want to call it, they want to save you from misery and teach you the lesson early. Sin makes you miserable. It's biblical. It's God's directive. Don't think that the world knows more than God. Don't think that the child development expert has it all and God somehow blew it and God was out in left field and God was somehow asleep when all this latest child development wisdom, uh, Dr. Spock, Oprah Winfrey, whoever it might be, your neighbor, your parents, your brother, your sister, your kids, God knows best. I'm here to preach God's word. Preach the word. And you can get angry at me. You can write scathing things, you know, comments. Really, it doesn't matter to me. Because I am here in the presence of God. Because I will answer to Him in the last day. And I prayed about this as I prepared this message. I will stand before Him and answer to Him for what I say to you. Do it lovingly. Do it with patience and meekness and gentleness, but do it in love for their good. It's biblical. It's God's way. To think that you know more than God is absurd. you get that? Even the claim, well, wait a minute, I, I, I heard this on the, the radio, or I saw this on, on CNN, or, or I read this in my Bible. God's word. Let's, exp- let's explain it. Let's understand it. Let's apply it correctly. Don't run off with it and then say, well, this is an excuse for abuse. No, no, no. But it's what God's word says. That's the first thing. It's biblical. Secondly, it's necessary. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of your child. He's a son of Adam. He's a, She's a daughter of Adam and Eve. And, and you know, you don't have to Teach them to lie you don't have to teach Them to be naughty they get that Themselves why because they're born With it As you were you inherited It from your father and all the Way back to Adam and they Inherited it from you It's in their hearts But the rod Of discipline Will drive you. It's necessary because of sin. It's loving. If you say, Well, I love my child, I, I can't hurt them. You're hurting them, you're damaging them terribly. If you neglect to teach them that simple lesson, sin makes you miserable. The way of the transgressor is hard. It's loving. To treat your children, to lovingly discipline them. It's effective in God's time and with God's blessing, it drives the foolishness out. Now I know there there are other forms of punishment and and maybe we'll have if we have a Sunday school class eventually I want to take a Sunday school lesson and go into some of the nuts and bolts here There may be other forms of punishment, yes that are even biblical But especially the rod we see is what drives the folly from the heart of the child It drives it out, don't neglect God's means It is not to be child abuse. Look again at what we read. Uh, You will not kill them. It says although you beat him with the rod 23.13, he will not die. In other words, you do not apply the rod in such a way and with such force and with such severity and with such anger that their life is hazarded. You will not kill them. Don't Don't damage them. Don't abuse them. Lovingly correct them. It's a mile apart. And anyone who takes my words as justifying child abuse, you have misconstrued what I'm clearly saying. It is not to damage them. It is not to harm them or kill them. Yes, pain. But not damage not abuse it is a means of teaching wisdom the rod and reproof together give wisdom not separated you want your children to grow up and be wise then train them lovingly it is a way of keeping them from bringing shame on their parents you know, kids that grow up and and you see them in the grocery store and they're so insolent and they sass their moms and you feel sorry for the mom in a way, but you think, did you use God's means? What we read was the child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Correct your son, he will delight your soul. Again, it's not harmful. It's not to to crush them. It's loving. Don't ever divorce child discipline, biblical child discipline from love. Admonishing as as to beloved children. Correcting with the rod as to beloved children. And the rod divorced from love, the rod used in anger, will damage a child. So, it's biblical, it's necessary, it's loving, it's effective, it's not child abuse, it teaches wisdom, it keeps them from bringing shame to their parents. But now let me add, before we close this morning, and I'm, oh, I did go two minutes over my deadline, but I'll close with this. As we use the rod, remember that the Proverbs are not promises. Some people misconstrue proverbs. And they say, well, God said, if you discipline them, then when they're old, they will not depart from it. Uh, so, so I have a promise. These are proverbs. And a, and a proverb is God's general way of dealing providentially. It's saying that this, you use this, this is good, this is God's advice, this is God's direction. It's it's the way things generally work. But it's not an absolute promise. not intended to be. Don't misconstrue Proverbs in that way. And so you take the proverb, and you bring it to God, and you plead with God. You pray for your kids, even as you apply the rod. Lord, you have said that this gives wisdom. Oh, Lord, make Johnny, make Susie wise. You have said that it delivers them from Sheol, from hell. Oh, Lord, save my kids. You water it with the tears of fervent prayer. And let me just say a word to the kids before we close this morning. Kids, the Bible recognizes that discipline is not comfortable. It's not pleasant. No discipline (laughs) is pleasant. Oh, Daddy, please spank me. You don't hear that, right? You don't say that. You say, what? It's not pleasant. But you know, if you have parents who lovingly, not cruelly, not harshly, not abusively, but lovingly correct you even with the rod, thank God for that. Why? Because they love you. They love you enough to want you, to to spare you from greater misery, from the way that leads to death from Sheol, from the grave, from hell. Thank God for such loving parents. Some of us can look back and remember our parents wielding the rod on us. (laughs) And You know what? We needed it, didn't we? (laughs) Well, thank God for such parents. Kids, if your parents do err, With anger, they're not perfect. And we parents repent of such misuse. But that does not excuse a neglect of the means. And so as we close this morning, we have a direction from God with regard to our children. I have much more to say about this, and I don't want to, you know, go on and on, but it isn't necessary, especially in our generation. I was, As I was praying over this message, whew, we need to hear this in this generation. And if we shut our mouths and say, well, the world won't tolerate it. The world's going to get all the more mad at us. The world's all the more going to persecute us if they hear this from us. All the more we need to say it. And so if we don't. Who will? And the next generation... The next generation of our country will all the more suffer for it. Jesus Christ, the hope of the nation, the hope of the world, the hope of your soul, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Who is wisdom? Jesus Christ is our wisdom. And so dear young people, as your parents correct you, I know they want to teach you this message first and foremost. There's a Savior for sinners. There's one who died who rose again to bring to glory many sons, many daughters, all who turn from sin and trust in him. Learn that lesson above all the lessons your parents teach you. And you who are listening online in the fellowship room in the gym, oh, hear me. There's a Savior for sinners who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, which does give direction to our feet, to our hands, to our lips, to our lives, and especially with regard to our precious, beloved children. All of the children of Trinity Baptist Church, we plead with you. We ask you, Lord, in mercy, help the parents to avoid, to turn away from anything that smacks of abuse and anger in their, in their discipline of their children, that it would not be done in rage. Righteous anger, totally self-controlled and loving. Lord help the parents this is not an easy task but bless admonition bless correction to the souls of our children that the folly would indeed be driven from them and that they would be delivered from hell have mercy help our parents to teach their children of Christ to teach them of a savior to teach them of a way of life and keep us from the way of death. We pray through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.